Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Live with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Live with Dr. Wendy. I am Wendy Patrick. I am joined, as I am each week, by my co-host Larry Dersham, an estate planning and civil rights attorney with plenty of ideas about constitutional law, which I have a feeling we're going to get into tonight. So uh, we're going to dive right into breaking news, and I'm going to call this segment The Great Unmasking. Now, not too long ago, had I said that, you would be thinking, at least if you were following conservative news, that I was talking about how certain parties in the Obama administration were getting warrants to unseal the names of Americans who participated in a variety of phone calls and meetings with nationals in foreign countries like Russia and then leaked to the press. But I'm talking about something very different tonight. Tonight, we are becoming faced with an increasing amount of pressure to support a different kind of unmasking, the actual physical unmasking of people who have been forced by government mandates to wear masks in public to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Now, obviously, this is a good idea for many people, and it's a good idea under many circumstances. But not everyone supports the great unmasking in all circumstances. Remember what we just celebrated, World Mask Week. Now, not everybody knew that was going on, but it was. And it was part of a public awareness campaign with the goal, the worthy goal, of encouraging people around the world to embrace the use of face masks, at least where we need to, in close quarters, in close contact, in public, until a vaccine is available. Now, the initiative was promoted, as many such initiatives often are, by celebrities, politicians, making it cool to wear a mask. Now, one of the things that we learned in following World Mask Week and its aftermath is that there might be too much of a good thing. That's right. Many of you have been following the story. There have been some government orders that have required people to wear masks during Zoom calls when they're home alone. Now, right away, what's the rationale for this? If you live by yourself, there's nobody there, there's no need to socially distance, why in the world would you wear a mask? Well, let me play a devil's advocate just for fun. I'm both lawyers, we like to play both sides. So the Washington Examiner had this great report of the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, who was telling workers that they had to wear face masks during virtual Zoom meetings. Now, why? Optics, in a word. They had to wear them during the meetings, even if they were home alone, because if they were going to be participating in this, it involves being seen on another virtual platform, and it sets a safety example as a public service employee, basically saying we are demonstrating that we care about the health and safety of others. Now, of course, medical experts say there is no need to wear masks at home if you are there alone. It's one thing if you live with somebody that might be vulnerable or you've just been out and about, but if you live alone, it's not a, it's not a medical issue. So one of the things that we are also seeing, just because this is becoming such a hot button issue, 
uh, is we're also seeing politicians really dig their heels in on one side or the other. Remember that candidate Joe Biden just called for a nationwide mask mandate, at least for the next three months. I wonder what that's geared to coincide with to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Now, most Americans understand this and understand that in certain circumstances, we have to do this. Even the president has been filmed newly masked with that wonderful black mask with the seal of the United States of America. So we're all sort of getting on the same page here. But I have to say one place in which we're also becoming very sympathetic is in how in the world are we enforcing mask mandates? Well, this just in hot off the press. It is now a felony in Illinois to assault a retail worker who was just trying to enforce mask mandates. That is where we have come. Because basically, the, we don't have a mask police. Police are actually out enforcing the criminal laws. But now it's a felony criminal law to assault somebody who is just doing their job. So this is good news for many people that are out there working in these retail stores, never having gone through the police academy, having no idea how to quell this drama that is erupting and going viral in the aisles of so many different kinds of stores when people flatly refuse because everybody knows these mask mandates are not being enforced. However, Larry, going back to the great unmasking, I also hear that on the other side of the country in Florida, there is something very different happening in terms of whether or not people are being required to wear masks. What's going on there? Yeah, that's right, Wendy. In Florida, Marion County, uh, Sheriff Billy Woods told his employees to not wear masks at work. Not only that, he told his uh, office people that visitors who come to the sheriff's office uh, will not uh, wear masks Either, And I think that is in Ocala, Florida, which is in Marion County. And what's interesting about that, Wendy, is uh, he's made some exceptions for officers while working at the courthouse, the jail, and in public schools. But other than that, he says, no masks. And what a conflict. I mean, it depends what jurisdiction you're going into, whether or not you need to uh, have a mask on or not. Well, I'll tell you, not only is it a conflict jurisdictionally, but you have to believe that other jurisdictions are looking at what Illinois did. So in Illinois, just because I'm a prosecutor, I'll give you a little more details. A simple battery in that state is considered a misdemeanor, up to a year in prison, files up to 2,500, fines up to 2,500. But listen to this, Larry, an aggravated battery charge is a felony, and that can carry a sentence of up to five years in prison or 10 years, depending on other factors, criminal history, et cetera. So the fact that there's this new law that protects these frontline employees is very important. Now, why is it also important? We have all, all of our listeners, we've all been there. We know that these laws are not being enforced. And in fact, many retailers like Walmart, I mean, which of us don't go to Walmart, many of these retailers are actually saying, we're not going to enforce those laws because we want to protect our employees. So there's this push to figure out how can we train employees to de-escalate scenarios? How can we have them use very practical techniques to protect themselves and other customers? And then maybe how do we partner with legislators to try to figure out, look, let's put some teeth into these mask laws so that we actually can have a, 
I hate to say a one-two punch, but I guess the shoe fits here. It's better than somebody pulling out a gun. Let's just say that. And that's right. what has sometimes happened when some of these frontline workers have tried to enforce the mask laws. Absolutely. And just to remind the folks, on June 18th of 2020, Governor Newsom ordered that Californians should uh, all wear face coverings when out in public or in high-risk settings, including shopping, uh, taking public transit, or going to a medical uh, appointment, for example. But what's interesting, Wendy, uh, I took my family. We went to the beach area in a place called Mission Beach, Pacific Beach, uh, this last uh, yesterday, last night. And I would say uh, down at the beach, about half of the people were wearing masks and half were not. It was just a, such an interesting mix. Uh, well, here's what I think the problem is. Here's and, and I'm glad that you brought that up. I was hoping you'd get into that. What is a face covering? So the, our governor didn't say you have to wear a mask. He said you have to wear a face covering. So is that a bandana? Is it a scarf? I mean, it, does, it certainly doesn't need to be an N95. Or is it one of those fancy high-tech plastic face shields through which you can breathe a lot easier? But I got a, a very practical question. Does your nose have to be inside that face covering or can it be sticking out? I mean, after all, that is part of how if when you sneeze, you spread the virus. Absolutely. So it just seems like and I know we're all watching all sorts of medical shows and guidance and it changes all the time. Um, the newest trend in the courtroom, by the way, uh, you probably already know this as a lawyer and many of our uh, listeners do as well. Transparent plastic masks so people can better understand what you are saying. This isn't confined to criminal law. This is just a very practical way of being safe, protecting others, and actually having more communications options available. What do you think about that? Yeah, actually, I think we're all kind of used to reading lips and so forth, but when they your face is covered, I mean, I've had to ask people to repeat themselves. You know, what did you say? I want to make sure I'm clear on it. Uh, what's interesting about masks, just very quickly, the N95 mask is the best. It uh, actually filters out the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the virus that causes you know, COVID-19, a coronavirus uh, sickness. And the, the coronavirus, this is interesting, is so small, it's 0.12 microns. And th just really quickly, the average cross-section of a human hair, Wendy, is 50 microns. And the human eye can't even see anything smaller than 40 microns in size. So again, this virus is 0.12 in size. So it's so invisible. And so we have yeah, to wear masks. You know, this is, this is good, uh, good uh, communication to our listeners who probably have been following a lot of this on the news. But we're going to transition in the second half to another topic they've no doubt been following. That's right. We're going to transition from pandemic to politics. So stick with us as we discuss some very interesting trends in terms of how voters are going to be educated and how they're going to be informed of all of the options available to them in 2020 to vote. You know, we talk about the pandemic and how it's going to be difficult for people to get to the polls. Well, there has been a movement on Facebook that we're going to get into after the break that is actually geared exactly to that, to try to make it easier for people to understand how to cast that ballot. So stick with us. You're listening to Live with Dr. Wendy.
cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to Headline Highlights live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more live with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back. You are listening to Live with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Guess what happens in 80 days? The election. How about that? Oh, boy. Yes, you know. You know it. We know it. 80 days. The presidential election. Not that everyone will wait until then. That's the point we're going to expand upon during the second half, especially in light of our discussion before the break about health concerns in public. I mean, think about it. Many Americans are concerned. Why take the risk and go to a polling place to cast your ballot if you can simply mail it in? when all we hear about is potential issues with what might happen if we rely completely on mail-in ballots. Now, we know that's never going to happen because we all have friends that just relish the opportunity to participate in history by getting up early, standing in line, going to the polling place, getting your sticker, although they send those to you in the mail also. But those are the kinds of things that really warrant mention because we'll never go to complete mail-in balloting. But people that want to participate in the process also have questions about how fast the news cycle spins, how do you know, what what kind of information comes out when, and when in the world should they wait to cast that very important vote? Well, we probably want to look at where Americans, at least a significant portion of Americans, are getting their information. You guessed it, on Facebook. So who and how is Facebook going to tell them to vote? Well, in terms of the process, I guess, Larry, you have somebody joining us tonight that can break this down. Take it away. I actually do. This is wonderful. Uh, Facebook, uh, this Thursday, uh, just a couple days ago, launched the largest voting information effort in U.S. history. Our special guest today is Lori Moylan, Facebook Public Policy Manager. Uh, so this is amazing that this, this has been launched, and the Facebook expects that more than 160 million people in the U.S. will see this information uh, about how to vote and about the general election and so forth. And that's pretty much 160 million. That's close to probably about everybody that can vote. It doesn't include kids, of course. So uh, we're very or it fortunate. Shouldn't. Yeah, it shouldn't. So uh, we're very fortunate to have Lori with us. So welcome to the program, Lori. Thank you for having me. Great. So what will the Voting Information Center do for Facebook and Instagram subscribers to help them better participate in the November 3rd election? So the Voter Information Center um, is our new tool that we've launched to help show people the most accurate and up-to-date information about how to vote in their specific area. So when you click into it from your menu, it will also show it to you at different times in your news feed. It will, you know, we'll have what we think of as your your civic location. So for me, you know, that would be Virginia. I'm based out of D.C. Um, And if for some reason Facebook had that wrong, you're able to change the location so that it actually reflects where you're going to vote. And then from there, it'll have the, you know, the most up-to-date information 
on how to do that. It'll let you check to see if you're registered to vote. Um, and then it, we've partnered with the secretaries of state to make sure that the information that we have about how to cast a vote in your state is is what the rules actually are for that state. Because as we know, it it can be different and it might change in different states between now and when the election actually happens due to the virus. And so we're, you know, in active partnership with them to make sure that we have the right information to show our users. That's great. So has well, this actually launched already? As far as it has, it, it launched okay. this week on Thursday. So oh. you should be able to access it on your Facebook page. Great. And will it show up on our screens? I mean, I have a Facebook account. Will it show up somewhere or do I have to kind of seek it out? So we will surface it at different points in, in your newsfeed. Um, and it will also be permanently in your menu bar. Um, and then also we're going to attach it to posts that people make about voting. So if I were to make a post that says, you know, I, I can't wait to make my voice heard on November 3rd, I hope you come out and vote with me. We would, you know, have an attachment um, underneath that that says, you know, to learn more about voting in your state, please visit our voter information center. Lori, I'm going to ask you the obvious question, very, very politically charged question. We have all been reading articles on how social media can influence not how to vote, but who to vote for, i.e. political viewpoints. And you are giving us some great information about exactly how and when this new information that Facebook is providing might come up. And just a couple of examples that we've all been hearing about. We've been hearing stories about censorship on Google, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, censoring conservative viewpoints. And so when we talk about a voter information guide, many people aren't going to read the fine print. They may just jump to conclusions falsely. It sounds like you're explaining that's not what this is about. But then be concerned that, well, if this comes up anytime somebody mentions voting, it could become very divisive on a very friendly, no pun intended, platform like Facebook. What are some of the, the, the ways in which we can avoid that happening? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, we, we take it very seriously wanting to make sure that all viewpoints are heard across the platform. And, you know, we want people to go cast their vote regardless of who they're going to vote for. As a platform dedicated to free expression, we know that one of the best ways that you can make your voice heard is through voting. And so, you know, our, our goal is simply to make sure that, that people take that responsibility seriously and go out and vote in this election regardless of, of you know, for whom they're going to cast their ballot. Um, I, I certainly understand that people might worry about the, you know, the information that we're presenting, and that's why we've tried to partner with, you know, local election officials and secretaries of state to make sure that it is simply factual information that is surfaced to people. Um, and, you know, because we're attaching the voting information center to all posts around voting, we're hoping that that shows our effort is, is to be neutral, right? It's not as if, you know, you were to post something and we think, well, that might not be true. So let's attach the voter information center. It should well, be it's interesting, Lori. I'm so glad you said that because remember, that's actually what your founder uh, weighed in on. Actually, he's weighed in on this more than once about, well, is it Facebook's obligation to fact check? And so one of the things that we're, we're all trying to do is we would really like Facebook to be more about, like you said, the process, neutral. But are there any measures in place or disclaimers, maybe is a better word for it, that will be accompanying this new information guide that will really proactively try to prevent this issue of political bias infiltrating the way it often does? Just plain voting information. Here you are just trying to tell people how to do it. Are there any steps in place to avoid it becoming politicized? 
Yeah, so if you look at the Voter Information Center, it has, you know, different little sort of what we term modules, you know, going down. So, you know, learn how to learn what's required to vote in your state. Make sure you're registered to vote. We have the source of that information um, for each little module. You know, so I'm actually looking at it right now. And if you, your listeners are able to pull it up, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing is, you know, find out what's required for me to be able to vote in Virginia. You know, learn more about your state's requirements. And it tells me right underneath it, the source is the state of Virginia. So hopefully people can understand that, you know, when it comes to this type of information, we're getting it just, you know, straight from our, our government partners who are here to make sure, you know, that their citizens have the accurate information about how to vote. Lori, would that get down to the county level? For example, we're in San Diego County, which is a fairly large county in San Di- uh, in California. Would you tell us, uh, is it connected to the San Diego County Registrar of Voters at all? Or is that too micro? Um, so there is a feature um, in the Voter Information Center for election alerts that um, local election officials, I believe, can also participate in. Um, and so while the source for election is going to be your, your state because it's, you know, sort of statewide requirements, whether it's, you know, uh, voter ID, things like that. Um, but when it comes to the election alerts, they can come from, you know, actual election officials, but at, at different levels. Where can you find it on Instagram, Lori? It's it's the same. It's in um, in your menu. Okay. Great. Okay. So, because one of the things that I think our um, our listeners are are considering is we've made much ado about the fact that social media has become, um, for better or for worse, a place where lots of different viewpoints are exchanged. And because this election is so contentious and is being discussed so so often. Um, part of why I believe, and you can you can tell me if this kind of went into it a little bit, just real quick, we're almost done, but I wanted to ask, was that part of the impetus as to why Facebook and Instagram would be instituting this kind of a tool? Because everybody knows that a significant amount of social media users choose those two platforms. Yeah, I mean, we know that we have a, a broad reach and, you know, the American population. And with that comes, you know, in our mind, again, you know, we're all about how different ways for people to use their voice. And we've long invested in civic tools. Um, I'm sure people can remember back to 2016 when you could put the little I voted stickers and you could share with people. Um, and we have other tools called Town Hall where you can um, immediately connect with the people who represent you if you um, share your address. We have a, a variety of civic tools that we've built across the platform. No, that's and great. This voter information center as sort of the next step in making sure that we're providing people with that access and information. Thank you so much. That, you know, thank you for explaining that. I know people have been asking about it, not knowing exactly what it is. Um, Lori, we want to thank you for joining the show tonight and, and providing some, uh, some of it, I guess more of an education as to what we need to figure out um, in terms of where we learn to vote. And it looks like social media is, again, making that easier for us. So thank you for your time tonight, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Of course. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful night. All right. And we are experiencing a, a wonderful hot night here, I guess, in San Diego's and across the country, as far as I can tell. Um, but we also want to uh, tell you we're always glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining another episode of Live with Dr. Wendy. Please join us again next Saturday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, we look forward to having you. I promise we'll have another exciting topic to talk about. Until then, God bless you. Have a great week.
Thank you for joining us for Live with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.